0: The moment between vision and fruition. good to see you. It's fun to be back in the room. Um, And just want to say thank you for letting Lisa and I have a time of just vacation and just rest in our lives. Uh, We hopped in our tiny little airplane and just kind of skipped all the way across the country until we got all the way to the East Coast. And part of that that was super cool is that Lisa has tons of family in Texas, and so she got to be with family she hadn't seen in a couple years. She had one friend she hadn't seen in 20 years. We got to spend a couple days there. And then as we got to South Carolina, that's where my sister and her husband are serving in ministry, and my mom is living with them, and so we got to hang out with mom for a while. She straightened me out. It, it was good. And uh, I come back just totally refreshed. You're going to, to hang on to your seat because I'm ready to go on the deal. But thank you for letting us just have that time of getting away. I really appreciate that. It was super cool. Hey, we're in the second week in a series called Waiting. So I'm curious how many in the room would say, Hey, Lynn, I love waiting. Man, it just it fills my tank. It's, it's one of the deepest joys of my life. I, I like to wait. All right, so nobody that's really sick in the room. All right, so we're together. And here's what you need to hear me say. I'm a fellow traveler in this thing. I, I'm waiting is frustrating for me. And I struggle in moments when I have to wait, especially when I think it's unnecessary. So, like one of the things I hate, like you go into a restaurant and the waiter or the waitress comes and gives you your drinks and says, I'll be right back to take your order. And you wait. And you wait and you wait and you start thinking, did they change shifts or something? And they don't know. And then you look over to the other side of the restaurant and there's the waiter or the waitress and they're just having a conversation with another waiter or waitress. You're like, hey, I'm over here and I'm still alive, but barely. Or how about this one? This one totally gets me. What if you're, you're, you're getting ready, you're in a store parking lot and you're trying to find a parking space and the car in front of you decides to wait for the car to back out of their parking space so they can have it. And of course, uh, the one they pick is the family that has three children in car seats. And, and they decide to stop and do bedtime stories for the children before they buckle them up and they haven't even gotten to the groceries yet, and you're like, are you kidding me? There's a parking space like three th- places down, and cars are backed up. And, and I just want to go, Jesus to you, buddy. That, that's a cross, by the way. Jesus to you, buddy. Because I'm just telling you, man, wait, waiting is so frustrating. It gets really frustrating when you feel like you're waiting on God. When you go, God, you ought to be able to see the thing that needs to get fixed, and you should be fully capable of being able to fix it for me so I don't understand why I'm waiting. It's the single gal who says, man, I mean, all of my girlfriends, they've all got boyfriends that they're dating, and I just need one guy to kind of like me a little bit and take me out. And I don't, I don't get, God, why I'm waiting. Waiting. It's when you and I are struggling financially and you go, God, I mean, I'm, I'm literally hand to mouth, hand to mouth, and if anything comes up, if I get a flat tire, if, if there's a dentist appointment for the kids, I mean, it sets me back. And God, I, I, if you could just give me a little bit of a raise, I mean, just enough so that I can make it to the end of the month and not have to sit there and squeeze every, bit. I mean, God, I'm waiting. It's the parents who, has a child who's gone off and is just living in sin and in darkness, and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed, and you just want to say, Hey God, how long? How long before you wake them up? How long before you grab their heart? How long before you bring them home? It's the moment when you say I was completely in it. I mean, what they did, what they did was one hundred percent wrong. I, 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 had, I had no part of it, and yet they seem to be going on, and their life is okay, and they, they even look like they're thriving. And so, how long before you spank them, God? How long do I have to wait? Here's what I thought we would do today. In the seat back right in front of you, if you look real closer, should be a little three by five kind of index card in there and if you'd grab one of those out, I think there's also a pen or a pencil there if you needed to write on. And here's what I thought we'd do together. If you and I would just simply write down an area of our life where we feel like we're waiting on God. We said, God, I mean, that thing is there. It's super apparent. I I just feel like I'm having to wait on you to solve that thing, to answer that thing in my life and God, I'm waiting. Some of you in the room might go, hey man, my life is so perfect right now. I mean, I'm not waiting on God for anything. You need to grab an index card too, stick it in your back pocket. You're gonna need it in about a week. Here's where, just take a moment. Hey, this, this is where in my life right now I feel like I'm waiting on God. Here's the conversation that you and I are going to have today. There are surely moments when God is going to say to you and me, hey, wait, wait, that is my answer, wait. But here's what most of us didn't know. There's an awful lot of times in my life when it feels like I'm waiting on God to show up. The reality is God is waiting for me to get with the program. Let me say this again. There are seasons in my life, there's moments in my life where I just go, hey God, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know why you haven't addressed this. I, I, it just feels like I'm stuck and I'm waiting on you. And the reality is you're not waiting on God. God is waiting for you to get with the program. And if you and I could begin to see those moments in our life, it would change waiting for us we're going to peek into the life of a guy who is just absolutely frustrated with God he feels like he has waited long enough and that God is for some reason is being simply unattentive God is being silent he's going to voice his grievances and go God when are you going to get with the program and what he's going to discover as he has a conversation with God is that God has been waiting on him so grab your Bibles Go with me to the book of Judges. Judges chapter six. If you're not familiar, uh, if you go to the front of your Bible, start working to the right, you're going to find this book of Judges. Judges uh, chapter six. Uh, Let let me set up uh, the moment uh, together. So the children of Israel are an agrarian culture. Agrarian simply means this. They make their living off the land. So the Israelites are farmers, uh, they're shepherds, they're herders, that's how they make their living. Not so much their neighbors, the Midianites. The Midianites are a warring people, and the way they make their living is by invading the weaker countries around them, stealing whatever they want, and then taking it back home. And so year after year, the Midianites have waited until it was harvest time in Israel. They come and invade, they steal the harvest, they steal any animals that they can find, they mess with all the women. It's kind of Las Vegas for Midianites. And when we get to the scripture, that same moment is happening. Matter of fact, scripture describes the invasion of the Midianites and says it was like a plague It was like a swarm of locusts. There were so many Midianites that they could not be numbered. It even goes further and says this. You couldn't even count the camels. Now here's why that's a big deal. Camels were actually rare. Camels are like the tanks of the military. There were far, 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 far more footmen than there were warriors on camels. And scripture says, You couldn't even count the camels that came to invade, which means that in all likelihood there are hundreds of thousands of Midianites preparing to invade Israel. And now we come into the story of a guy by the name of Gideon who is just trying to eke out his life and do the very, very best he can and keep his harvest away from the invading Midianites. Here we go. It's Judges chapter six, starting in verse 11. Here's what it says. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah uh, that belonged to Joash the Abizite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Now, when you and I read that, it doesn't resonate with us like it would have resonated with early Israelites because you and I aren't farmers. We're not agrarian. But here's what's happening in the moment. Gideon probably has planted his crops a little bit early, hoping that he could outpace the Midianites. He's probably harvested his wheat just at the very instant it started to be ripe, hoping the Midianites wouldn't be there, but unfortunately they've showed up. And so now he is down in a wine press threshing his wheat. explain what's happening. When you harvest the wheat, you would chop it off, you would get the kernels of wheat, but you'd also get a little bit of the stick, a little bit of the chaff that the wheat was growing on. You now need to separate it. So you would take a round kind of shallow basket, you would place your harvest on there, and you would toss it in the air. As the breeze came by, the lighter chaff would blow away, the heavier wheat would fall back into the basket. That's how you would sort it. Gideon is down in a hole trying to harvest his wheat. Here's the problem. There's no wind in a hole. He's down in the wine press. It's absolutely ridiculous. But he's doing it because he is filled with fear because of the Midianites. Kind of a cool thing In the passage, it says the angel of the Lord came to have a conversation with Gideon. Most theologians believe that this angel of the Lord is actually Jesus. So the word angel actually means messenger, messenger of the Lord. But the reason they believe that this is probably Jesus before he was ever born in Bethlehem is this. Later in the story... It's going to stop calling him the angel of the Lord and instead is going to call him Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah. And Jehovah spoke with Gideon. And so theologians believe this is what we call a theophany. It's an appearance of Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. And Jesus is sitting down and having a conversation with Gideon about waiting. Back to the passage, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happening? If God is really with us, how come he hasn't taken care of this problem? How come he hasn't? Why are we sitting around waiting for the Lord if the Lord is with us? And truth be told, You and I have felt the same way. Hey, if God was here, how come? Why, if the Lord is with me? And why do I find myself waiting if God is with me? Pardon me, Lord, he said, getting replied, but the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that the ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, left us here waiting, and given us into the hand of Midian. You get it. He's frustrated, he goes, I, I've waited long enough. It, it's far beyond time for God to show up and to deal with what's going on in all of our lives. And in the meantime, Gideon has a plan. Here's the plan, I'm just gonna hide. I, I'm just gonna hang out here, I'm, I'm gonna stay as low as I can, hopefully the Midianites don't see me, and I'm just gonna wait, I'm just gonna wait for God to get his act together problem is it feels like I've been waiting far too long. But Gideon's plan, I'm hiding till God shows up. Here's why that's important. Because you and I live much of our lives with a plan. We've already kind of said, hey, I, I don't know the details. I don't know exactly how this unfolds, but I've got a plan about how my life is going to go. And for most of us, uh, that plan sounds a little bit Uh, Like this, hey I'm I'm gonna go to college uh, and get my degree. Somewhere along the way I'm gonna get married and maybe pop a kid or two. Uh, Once I graduate college I'll finally have my first job that actually lines up with my career. I'm, I'm gonna work harder than all of my colleagues. I'm gonna stay longer, I'm gonna produce more and eventually I'm gonna get promoted. And then at some point, I'll probably have to take my skills and put them on the open market so that I can advance and get myself a better job. And then finally, I'll have that corner office. I'll have the salary I always imagine. Life will be really, really good. And then, and then somewhere in the process of working our plan, There's a problem. Something that that causes the plan to go on pause. Something that keeps us from going forward like we had imagined, like we had planned. And and we say, hey God, I mean, haven't you noticed this? I mean, I'm just asking for you to deal with that because it's holding back the plan. And by now, by now I should probably be here. But for some reason... I'm stuck, and and I'm waiting for you to do something about this. God, if you would just get your act together, then I could move forward. See, truth be told, most of us have a plan. And our waiting is about God helping us out with our plan. Two reasons, two reasons that we find ourselves waiting. Go back to the passage, starting in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So here's what you know. Manasseh is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And chances are, if I were to say to you today, hey, name the 12 tribes of Israel, you'd probably be able to name several of them, but there's a really, really good chance you wouldn't even think to mention Manasseh. Manasseh is kind of one of those little teeny tribes that is hardly mentioned in the Bible at all, kind of like Naphtali. And in all likelihood, you would forget it. And Gideon just acknowledged, he goes, look, I'm I'm part of this second-rate tribe. Nobody even remembers to write down. And my family, my family is the loser family in this second-rate tribe. And worse than that, my family doesn't even like me. I mean, why would you want me to save Israel? Putting that in modern language. Hey, I got cut from JV." I started college, but I I didn't finish. My girlfriend just dumped me to date my younger brother. I'm not not the guy. And then God responds to him and says, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. You, You get what just happened. God just said to Gideon, Gideon, We're vetoing your plan. This whole I'm gonna hide and then wait for God to show up and do something. I've got a different plan. And Midian and and Gideon, my plan is you're actually gonna be the leader of Israel, you're gonna be their general. You're gonna lead Israel in battle to actually conquer the Midianites. Here's what's interesting. God's plan actually is not all that divergent from, Midian, or from Gideon's plan. Either way, the Midianites are going to be taken care of. God is just simply saying to Gideon, Gideon, my plan has something different for you to do. Instead of being the scared guy who hides out, I'm going to invite you to be the leader of your nation in my plan." Think about this. If I have a plan, and in my plan, I run into a problem, right? My plan, and now I've got a problem. How concerned is God about solving a problem in my plan when I'm not working his plan? Okay, only two of you got that. The rest of you are like let me help. If I've got a problem in my plan that makes me feel like I'm waiting on God, how concerned is God about solving the problem in my plan when I'm not doing his plan? Think of it this way. I want you to imagine that you have a child and you decide, you know what, from the day they were born, I'm going to start setting aside money because I want them to be able to go to college. And so sure enough, you're faithful to it, you're sacrificial, vacations don't look as extravagant as they could because you're setting aside money. You maybe drive a car that's not the car you could because you're setting aside money for your kid to go to college. Your kid graduates high school and they come to you and say, hey mom and dad, I know your plan for me was to go to college. I've come up with my own plan. I don't want to go to college at all. My plan is, I'm gonna go backpacking in Europe, and I'm gonna live in hostels. The only thing is, in my plan, I've got a problem. I can't fund it. So I was thinking, if you would give me the college fund, I'd be able to backpack through Europe for three years and not have to work at all. How many of you go, oh, I love the new plan? you realize everyone that clapped their hand was 18 or younger just now. Because here's the every parent in this room said, I ain't helping you with your backpacking plan. When you and I come to God and we are living life according to our plan and you and I come into a problem and we say to God, God, how about if you change your plan and help me with my plan? God goes, that's your problem. And I ain't that interested in solving your problem problem is it possible that's why some of us are waiting because we're waiting for God to get his act together and help us with our plan and we're ignoring his here's what's interesting to me Gideon is oblivious to God's plan. I mean this is all new he has he has no idea he has no thought how is that possible how is it possible that Gideon has no idea what God was trying to do and this is one of those moments where what isn't said may be more important than what was said you ever had one of those conversations and you walked away and say did you notice what they didn't say that was a big deal I've got a friend and he talks about when he interviews people for a job and here's what he says, I always think the most important question I can ask is simply this, who is Timothy Johnson? In other words, who are you? Who are you? And he says, so often they'll describe themselves say, hey, you know what? I'm a real go-getter. I promise you I'm gonna work, 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 work really, really hard. I'm pretty good at problem solving, so I'm gonna be able to do some of that on my own. And I, I just promise you, I'll work hard, I'll be, I'll be a good employee. And he said, you know what? I learned more by what they didn't say. Because here's what they didn't say. He I'm a husband, I'm a wife. Because if your marriage was central to who you are, if it was one of the deepest concerns of your life, wouldn't you have brought that up when I asked, who are you? You know what they didn't say? I've got three kids, and my goal is to raise three. Because if that was central, if that was core to who you are, wouldn't you have said something about that? And he said, even more remarkable is this. How many Christians I interviewed they don't even bring up that they're a Christian? And if that was core to their identity, and I said to you, who is Tim Johnson? Wouldn't you have to say that? Maybe even the first thing you would say. Guys, sometimes it's more important what isn't said than what is said. And I believe in this passage, it's critical what's not said. Here's what's not said, you ready? Gideon does not say when he talks to Jesus, hey, you know what, I've been praying about this. Man, I have been before God and asked him every single day, God, what is it that you have planned? What is it you wanna do? If you would would just even give me the slightest insight, I I would be in, I would cooperate, I'd be part of it. Just tell me what you want from me. Where's prayer in this conversation? Grab your Bibles real quick, because scripture tells you and me why our prayers don't get answered. Go with me to the book of James. If you're not familiar, go to the very back of your Bible, then start working to the left until you get to this book of James. It's James chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and he literally is going to tell you why our prayers don't get answered, and we sit around waiting. Here we go. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. How many times have we had an issue in our life and the last resort was to pray? That we went, didn't go before God and say, God, I, I don't understand this moment. I don't understand why it's there. I don't understand why this problem isn't God, would you speak to me and let me know what you're doing, what you want me to do? He says, You don't have because you haven't actually sought the face of God. You haven't asked. But now he goes a step further. And then he says, And when you ask, because maybe you did pray about it, but when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. See, my motive was this Hey, God, I've got a plan. I've got this plan, and now in my plan is a problem. God, if you would just get with the program and solve the problem in my plan. He says, you asked with the wrong motives. You asked God to conform to you and do what you wanted him to do. You asked with the wrong motives, that you may spend it, uh, what you get, on your own pleasures. And then, jump over with me to the book of Matthew, because Jesus actually, in contrast, tells us how to pray, how we should pray. Matthew chapter 6, the disciples that come to Jesus, they said, Jesus, help us understand how to pray. Here's how Jesus answers. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You get what he's saying? Your God, I'm not. You're in charge, I'm not. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, look, 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 I'm not trying to convince you to do my plan, God. Your will be done in my life. Let's let's opt for your plan, not for a human plan. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you want to do, God, let's let me do that the way the angels in heaven do your will. Think about this. If God asks for a cup of tea in heaven, how quick do you think the angels get him a cup of tea? And literally what we're supposed to pray is say, God, you say it. I will respond just as quickly. I'll immediately step into your plan and I'll leave my plan. Your will be done in my life the way that it's done in heaven. We've got got prayer totally messed up in our lives. We've got this impression that prayer is about convincing God to do what we want God to do. This blue hand is God, this hand is me. We think prayer is this, God and I are out of alignment. And if I pray enough, if I beg enough, then God will line up with my plan. You realize that's the opposite of prayer. Here's what prayer is. This is God, this is me, we're not in alignment. And prayer says, hey God, what am I not seeing? What do I not understand? Would you simply tell me what you want me to do? And I promise I will bring my life in alignment with you. That's prayer. Prayer isn't you and me telling God what he ought to do. Prayer is you and me asking God what we should do to be in alignment with him. Is it possible? Is it possible that we've been working our own plan and that we thought we were waiting on God to show up and the reality is God was waiting on us to get with the plan? Second reason that we find ourselves waiting is simply this, that if God were to tell us today what we needed, we weren't, we're not ready. We're not ready. Think about this. Why didn't God sit down and have this conversation with Gideon a year ago? Why didn't God sit down and have this conversation with Gideon two years ago? And here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced the reason this conversation happens when it does, this is the first possible moment that Gideon was going to listen and consider opting into God's plan. Because think about it, even now, look at all the whining, all the excuses that Gideon gives, trying not to. And he barely is ready to step into God's plan. It's possible that the reason God has you in wait, because you're not ready. If he told you, if he answered that prayer, you're not ready for that prayer to be answered. So my son, as he graduated high school, his faith in God got really casual. He wasn't off doing horribly, horribly evil, dark stuff, but he was doing some things he didn't want to tell his daddy about. He ends up getting a job in Hollywood. It's a job of a lifetime. He's doing post-production sound mixing for huge TV shows. So he's mixing sound for Survivor, he's mixing sound for Hell's Kitchen, Job of a lifetime. The problem is, my son's faith is casual. He's living in Hollywood. And he's got his dad terrified. Beyond that, he's of marrying age. And I was just convinced he's gonna find some girl who's like waving crystals around. They're they're gonna have kids and they're gonna be named Alfalfa and Sprout the rest of my life. I determined in my heart, I said, man, I'm gonna pray for my son like I have never prayed for my son before. And I did, I, man, I was praying night and day, man, God, get a hold of my son's heart. Sure enough, about six months later, my son calls up on the phone. He says, dad, I think I'm coming home. And I asked him this question. I said, Josh, have you prayed about it? And Josh said, no, dad, I haven't prayed about it. I said, don't come home, click. Lisa went, ah! Our son was coming home. I went, no, no, Lisa. He's got a job of a lifetime. He will not have that opportunity here. He needs to know why he's coming home. About two weeks later, my son called me up on the phone. He said, Dad, I think I'm coming home. I said, Josh, have you prayed about it? He says, I prayed about it a little bit. I said, Josh, don't come home. Click. (laughs) Lisa said, he was praying about it. I said, not enough. Boy needs to know why he's coming home. About a week later, Josh called me up on the phone. He said, Daddy, I'm coming home. I said, okay, Josh, come home. Before I hung up the phone, Lisa had called U-Haul. She had called one of her friends to go with her. She drove through the entire night. The next morning, she was waiting outside Josh's apartment. But here's here's what you need to know. Josh and I both knew when he talked about coming home, he wasn't talking about location. He was coming home to how he ought to live. And sure enough, when Josh got, man, he just threw himself headlong into following Jesus. He joined every single praise band he could be a part of. He started using his mixing skills for the Lord. Lo and behold, a couple months in, he ends up meeting Amy, who is this vibrant, incredible Christian young lady. And before I knew it, they were engaged. And I sat Josh down and I said, Josh, you realize if Amy had met you nine months ago, she wouldn't have had anything to do with you. And here's what Josh said I know, Dad, I wasn't ready. Is it possible? one of the reasons you and I are waiting on God is because God just goes, look, if I told you, if I promoted you, if I did that now, you're not ready. And that you're not waiting on God, God's waiting on you to get ready. If if he gave you that promotion that you want so bad, you've been praying so hard about, what God knows is, hey, you don't have the tools in the tool belt yet, you haven't learned some of the leadership you need to know. If I promoted you today, your team would hate you. You'd be released in six months. But if you'll let me develop you, if you'll let me take this time of waiting to cook you, then when I promote you, not only is your team going to thrive, you're going to get a second promotion. For that little gal who's waiting for the boy today, and God says, no, 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 we're going to wait. Because your picker is broken. And if I brought a guy to you right now, you'd marry him. And he's not the right guy. And if you'll wait, I'm going to work on your heart. I'm going to help you to see the type of guy. And when I bring him in the room, you're going to go, wow. And, you're gonna, and your marriage is going to be 100% different. And out of absolute kindness and love for you, I'm asking you to wait because you're not ready. Ready? You and I pray and we say, hey God, if you could just provide a little more financially, if you could just help me out a little bit more, and God goes, you aren't ready. Because see, if I gave you more money right now, you would begin to believe that it's money that has brought you comfort, that it's money that has taken fear and tension out of your life. And if you'll wait, hand to mouth, hand to mouth, and all of a sudden you realize, I've got an incredible marriage, I've got amazing kids. My happiness isn't rooted in how much money I have. That then when I bring you more, you won't lean in and believe that it's money that brought you happiness. You'll know that it was me. And you'll be able to be generous and not have a false God in your life. Because you're not ready yet. And is it possible in our lives that one of the reasons the problem has persisted is because God just says, hey, you're needing to be cooked. There's some maturity that needs to happen in your life so that you can be ready. We thought we were waiting on God. God was waiting on me. It's interesting in the story because Gideon just barely, Gideon opts in. He says, okay, God, we're gonna, we're gonna put away my plan of hiding away. I'll do what you've asked me to do. And here's the interesting thing, and I can't promise it happens every time, but it does in this story that immediately life starts moving really, really fast. Remember, Gideon was stalled, but now, whoom, because he stepped into the plan of God. So here's what happens. God says, okay, we're gonna make you to the general, Gideon, go rally the men. So he goes to every city, every town, he says, okay, we're gonna go get those Midianites. When he gets all the army of Israel together, 32,000 men. Remember Midian, hundreds of thousands. Israel, 32,000. And then God comes to Gideon and says, you've got too many men. If, if you win this battle, they'll think it was our ability, it was our expertise, it was our intelligence that did it. We've got to get rid of some of the men. So Gideon, go to the men and say, anyone who's afraid can go home. 22,000 men, go home. Gideon, are we moving fast enough yet? God then says, hey, Gideon, you still have too many. You've got 10,000. we got to weed these guys out. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you under the spring, and you're going to watch. And the men that cup the water and bring it to their mouth, you're going to put them in one pile. The men who bend on down and lap it right out of the, you're going to put them in another pile. 9,700 men lean over and drink right from 300, lap it up. You want to guess which pile God picks? The 300 pile. Hey, Gideon, are we moving fast enough yet? And then God says, and I've got a battle plan for you. You're not even going to draw your sword. You're going to leave your swords in the sheath. You're going to take 300 torches, put one in each man's hand. You're going to put a pot over the top of the torch so nobody can see that it's lit. And then in the other hand, you're going to hold a trumpet. You're then going to take the men of Israel, the 300 that are left. You're going to surround the Midianites. In the dark of the night, you're going to yell out for the Lord and for Gideon. You're going to break the pots. All of a sudden, 300 torches are going to be seen. And you're going to blow trumpets. That's the plan, Gideon. Are we moving fast enough yet? And watch what scripture says happens next. Go back to Judges. Judges chapter 7. Just with 300 men blowing horns and holding torches, Judges chapter 7, verse 22, and when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp of Midian to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shudda towards Zerah, as far as the border of abel Meloah, near Taba. So they see all these uh, torches going, they hear all the trumpets going. In fear and panic, all the Midianite soldiers begin to kill each other. This isn't necessarily as bizarre as you would think. Here's what you need to know. There's no uniforms at this time. When Midian got ready to go to war, they simply went to every town and every village. They said, hey, every able-bodied male, go to your home, get whatever weapon you have, and then come with us. And so they all show up in their street clothes. When Gideon went to get his army, he went to every town in every village. He said, hey, every able-bodied male, come with me. They all show up in their street clothes. No one knows which side you're on. So when all of a sudden they see the 300 torches, they hear the horns. In panic, they turn on each other, not knowing if you're friend or foe, and the armies of the Malachites kill, the Midianites kill each other. And Israel never lifts a sword. Here's why that works. When Gideon was doing Gideon's plan, the Midianites were his problem. When Gideon decided to be in God's plan, the Midianites were God's problem. And God solves his problems. And when you and I decide, hey, I'm gonna live the life that God asked me to live, I'm gonna live in his plan, any problem that comes up is no longer your problem to solve. That's God's problem, because you're in God's plan. Piece of paper. We wrote down where we're waiting on God, and it's possible, I just want to say today, it's possible God really has asked you to wait about this. But isn't it equally possible that the reason that's a problem is because you're working your plan and haven't stepped into God's plan? And what would it be like for you and I to begin to pray about this and just say, hey God, is this my problem? Or is this yours? Am I, am I living the life you wanted me to live? Am I doing what you want, called me to do? Because that has everything that could change this problem for me. Or God, is it possible the reason this problem is here, this hesitation, this, because I ain't ready yet. I still need some work. I need some maturing. I need some growing in my life. And I'm just gonna to say to you, God, look, whatever you've got to teach me, I'm available. I'm ready to learn. It would change waiting. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just simply come to a moment. And God, if if. If the waiting that we're experiencing right now is what you've called us to, that your answer is no, I truly want you to wait, then God just hear us say, you're God, we're not. We'll wait. If what we're experiencing this moment isn't really about us waiting on you, it's you waiting on us. Waiting on us because we're still doing our plan in deference to yours. Then God just hear us say right now, we want your plan. We want your plan. Your, your plan is way better than our plan. Here I am. God, if the waiting is about we're not ready yet, we're not cooked enough yet, we haven't matured enough yet, then God, just here, we, we are clay in the potter's hands. You, you can do whatever you need to do to teach us, to raise us up, to get us ready for what you have next in our life. But God, we're done. We're done telling you what you should do. And we're ready to ask you what we should do. As we wait. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what an awesome time together in God's word and in worship together as a church family. I don't know what season you're in or what you're waiting on God for. All of us go through phases where we're waiting on God for different things. Maybe you're in need of an answer today. We would love to pray with you. Um, If you wanna text prayer to 21999, a real person will reach back and uh, be able to pray with you. God is always at work, sometimes especially in those seasons of waiting when it doesn't feel like it. So reach out for prayer if you need that today and have a blessed week. We'll see you next time.